0: two mats that's the number two m-a-t-t-s and there's a link in the show notes
1: ryan reynolds here from Mint mobile
0: Hello, Snowflakes, and welcome back to the New European podcast. My name is Steve Anglesey. I'm the editor of the New European. If you like what we do, there's really no better way to support us than by subscribing. And to make that decision easier for you, here's a fantastic offer for podcast listeners. New subscribers can get a year's digital subscription for just one pound a week, giving you full unlimited digital access to our website and new subscribers can buy a year's subscription to our print and digital package for £2 a week. For that, you'll get unlimited digital access, plus our award-winning newspaper will be delivered to your door every week for a year. To take advantage of this exclusive offer and to join our growing community of avid readers, you can subscribe at the neweuropean.co.uk slash podcast. That's the New European tne podcast. Now, this week on the new European podcast, it's Tory leadership election fever. Why did I vote Remain? I was concerned about disruption after Brexit. It turns out that disruption didn't happen. That's what Liz Truss said the other night, and how refreshing after four years of Boris Johnson to know that our next Prime Minister will be someone who tells the truth. Yes, there she was, lying to a Tory hustings on Wednesday after spending Monday and Tuesday lying about a collapsing pay boards policy. That was billed as a bold Thatcherite attack on the bloated pay of fat cat civil servants. It turned out actually to mean a pay cut for every future NHS worker, teacher, policeman or woman, firefighter, person who works on the bins, just about everything. Uh... Oh, just the ones who've got the bad luck to live outside London. This truss's lies are so blatant, her uh, rhetoric about Nicholas Sturgeon and Mark Drakeford so empty, a adding up so askew, that she's plummeted in the Tory leadership polls, like a turd in a well, as Bill Clinton used to say. Well she's not, is she? Just kidding. She's up on Rishi Sunak by sixty nine percent to thirty one per cent in the last two polls of the Tory party faithful. Incredible. What a choice it is between Truss and Sunak. third in command in the least talented government of all time, leading the second in command in the least talented government of all time, simply because the third in command didn't resign in protest over the first in command in the least uh, talented government of all time. But when we're facing 13% inflation a year, long recession, 3% interest rates, fuel bills of £3,500 a year at least the next Prime Minister will be able to say something funny about cheese and then have a go at the woke karate. On last week's podcast, we talked about Rupert Huck MP describing Sunak v Truss as like a battle between typhoid and cholera. So with that in mind, we asked you, dear new European podcast listeners, to fill in the blank at the end of this question. A choice between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak is like a choice between blank. Here are the best of your answers. You've really surpassed yourselves this time. Thank you, everyone. John Murphy says a choice between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak is like a choice between Stan and Ollie. Nicholas Evans says it's like a choice between Pinocchio and Munchausen. Susan Fogg says it's like a choice between Scylla and Charybdis. George Plater says it's like a choice between Ronnie and Reggie. Graham Stark says it's like a choice between arsenic and cyanide. DC says it's like a choice between arsenic and arsenic. Dr. Mark A.G. Smith, a medical man who clearly knows these things, says it's like a choice between torsion of the testicle or a full rectal prolapse. Richard Scales says it's like a choice between flying elephants with diarrhoea and pissing into a force nine gale while on top of Everest. Connor says... It's like a choice between which toilet to be sick in on the last day of Glastonbury. Adrian Mather says it's like a choice between a colonoscopy and a different kind of colonoscopy. Katie Montgomery says it's like a choice between the worst person you've ever heard of and then one who's even worse than that. A Radical Shift says it's a choice between... A rock and a hard place. Stu M says it's a choice between a cock and a hard face. Olive says it's a choice between shite and shit. mancunion 35 says it's a choice between bullshit and horse shit. Jim Splurton, who's thought about these things, says it's like a choice between having an elastic band flicked at your left testicle and having an elastic band flicked at your right testicle. Peter Hunter says it's like a choice between being run over by a bus or run over by a lorry and Alistair Campbell, and how nice it is to hear that name uh, connected with a successful podcast for a change. So it's a choice between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak is like a choice between Boris Johnson's Foreign Secretary and Boris Johnson's Chancellor. Now, let's bring in the new Europeans, James Ball, who, for anyone still sitting on the fence after hearing all of that, has helpfully outlined 39 reasons why Liz Truss will be a terrible prime minister. That is on the cover of our new edition, issue 302 of the New European. James, before we go through all the history and all the clues that tell us to be very afraid of a Liz Truss premiership, what about this last week? What have we learned about Liz Truss in recent days? So, um, I mean, I think we learned quite a
1: lot in a uh, very busy 24-hour period where um, Liz Truss, having a sort of commanding 30-point lead, uh, if you believe, YouGov, of the uh, contest, decided that that was the perfect time announced that she was going to introduce regional pay boards which is something treasury has wanted for ages it's quite weird for liz trust to su- suddenly go treasury braid against Rishi so so Liz trust said she was going to introduce regional pay boards uh, with this intention that um, public sector salaries would reflect salaries in the area mm. and what that amounts to in practice is huge pay cuts for doctors nurses teachers you know police in, uh, in the North. Yeah. And middle-class professions in the North tend to vote Tory. So it was essentially a sort of massive fuck you to the red wall. So yeah, it went down like a couple of cold sick, Ben Houshen, who's sort of, you know, the um, Northeastern uh, Conservative mayor, you know, big rising star in the party, absolutely condemned it. Everyone else condemned it. And so by about lunch. Time um, she came out saying she wasn't going to launch any regional pay boards and also it was all complete misinformation, and it was all the media's fault. Yeah, um, and so the issue for her was there was a press release from the night before saying she was going to launch pre um, going to launch regional payboards, and that they would save eight point eight billion pounds a year. Now, it's quite hard to see how you launch a pay board and save nearly £9 billion a year if you're not going to, you know, reduce salaries. And so it was a very, very Boris Johnson-type cock-up in that it involved a policy that hadn't really been thought through. It got launched sort of earlier before anyone really kind of kicked it around a bit and went, hey, why, why might someone not like this? And then it got U-turned within about 12 hours. And then they decided to try and claim that, in fact, the policy had been invented, um, which I think is actually the plot of the very first episode of The Thick of It. Um, So it didn't really tell you anything good, but it did perhaps show you why she's kind of the Boris continuity candidate, I guess.
0: Yes, she very much is, isn't she? Um, I I mean, continuity with change, as you say in your your piece, which is a line (laughs) from another... Armando Iannucci thing, isn't it? It's a, a, veep, a Veep line. But she's basically winning this election by default, isn't it? Because the, the electorate that she is aiming at is not you and me. It's a load of people who think or have been persuaded over the last few weeks that Boris Johnson really didn't do anything wrong and he shouldn't have resigned. And the person who did make him resign was that horrible Rishi Sunak.
1: Yes, I mean, it's, um, it's sort of quite difficult for him because... You know, that he he is seen as the one who was very obviously plotting against Boris, um, perhaps for the reason that he was very obviously plotting against Boris. And yeah, it sort of means that with that selectorate, it's very difficult, especially as this is a selectorate, really, that, um, you know, is going to pick whichever candidate they think will annoy you and I more. Yes. Um, and so, you know, the upside of it is that uh, it's really hard to tell which candidate would or actually annoy URI more uh, because in their, in their different ways, they're both so special. Um, but yes, you know, she's got the advantage of no betrayal, which does seem to play quite well for her.
0: I mean, do you think, that, uh, could there actually have been a good choice for, for the next Tory leader? Clearly, the, the, the people who who joined the race were not very... Inspiring. In in a sane world, who would be their their best leader? I mean, there are plenty of capable people on the Conservative
1: benches. You know, I think Tom Tugganhat was never going to be the leader, but sort of had a good go at it. There are ministers who've sort of quietly done quite good jobs in their uh, departments. But I think the issue was the secondary of them were running for leader. They started to feel like they had to pander to the sort of maddest of the backbenchers and then Mm. the madness of the base. Uh, which just landed them with all sorts of issues, um, especially because you can't really sort of, you know, it's quite hard to fake insanity um, as sort of Rishi Sunak's finding, you know, he's, he's running kind of essentially going, hey, let me take over because that that chancellor, whoever that was, he was shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, let's throw out everything he believed in. Perhaps, perhaps we will have more on him next week. <sighs>
0: Yes, I mean it's it's totally totally bizarre, isn't it? And I think yeah, I mean even Tom Tugendhat, who was quite easily the the best of a, a terrible bunch, ended up going on about how all Labour voters wore sandals and uh, and uh, the Tories were the natural party of government, um, which is uh, <laughs> on Polit- Politicians have this very strange habit. Um, It's
1: usually found amongst the sort of hardcore Twitter left of not realising that quite a lot of people have voted for both major parties. And they don't sort of think in these tribal terms. And so you end up with this sort of bizarre situation where they start slagging off voters who could easily be their voters, um, which is usually not the best tactic.
0: No, no. What is the case for Liz Truss? I mean, what's, what's, what's she good at? What are the signs that she might be able to run a country that's facing a brutal recession, breakdown of its infrastructure, services, and it's one that's cut itself off from its biggest trading partner?
1: So at, at the risk of damning with faint praise, um, she's not actually disliked by the departments that she went in. She's known as a fairly hard worker, Right. Um, and pretty good, and pretty good to her civil servants, and sort of will do will do the briefs. The, the sort of flip side of it is she's sort of known for getting a uh, being a bonnet and coming in with a bad idea, and it taking quite a lot of work to talk her out of it. Um, but there's quite a lot of ministers in this government that civil servants loathe. Um, you know, not because of their politics. You know, it's not their job to have political opinions, uh, but because they're either really stupid or they're abusive to staff or, you know, let us not forget our current Home Secretary has had bullying complaints upheld against her and stayed in post. Yes. Um, so, you know, being a bit persuadable, being known for that is quite nice. You know, I feel like we you know, we did our um, cover with a, a photo of uh, Liz uh, gasping in horror. At least to be fair to her, she actually showed, a little bit of human concern when someone fainted. I yes. realise that that bar is so low, it's below the floor. But we all know Boris wouldn't have done that. Uh, he'd no. probably have kept talking. Um, so, you know, she's, as a human being, apparently not terrible. As a leader, I mean, her policies are just completely bonkers. Everything she's putting, you know, the only comfort is, sort of, you've hit the point now where sort of people like the IFS and the Institute for Government and the various other think tanks are just going, oh, don't bother paying this attention. It's got no resemblance to reality. You know, sort of, I'm going to make Oxbridge interview everyone. You know, sort of, you know, as someone put, what if someone's got sort of fashion, design and dance and uh, is sort of conscripted and forced to do a classics degree at Oxford? Yeah. Um, you know, <laughs> it sort of, it makes no sense. Um, not dissing fashion, design, and dance. I'm just suggesting that person probably doesn't want to do classics. They probably want to do something to do with, you know, design.
0: Hmm. I mean, when when are they going to interview them as well? I mean, when the the A-level results come out, when? I mean, and then the... It, it, it strikes me that there's a very small window to do a very large yes. number of interviews. Uh, of, yes, uh, well, it,
1: it, is, it is a very dramatic shift. Lots of people actually do the, the clever bit of the policy that would be nice if you could do it, would be to shift to post-qualification, yes. university application. But the reason everyone backs off is it basically requires a mandatory gap year, hmm. um, which is not really great because people unless you're middle class you need to work in that gap year and by the time you're working and in it is that going to mean that people actually go well maybe I shouldn't do uni after all I've got a job and you actually entrench inequality with your effort to tackle it um so you know policy is complicated um which you know be great if our uh, politicians realized
0: yes I mean, you've you've named these 39 reasons to be scared about Liz Truss. Some of them are, are, are obviously, you know, the, the gaffes aren't they? Let's talk for a minute about Britannia Unchained, first of all. I mean, not just because it's an awful piece of work written by awful pieces of work, but, I mean, one of, one of the pieces, one of the, the co-authors has got a very good chance of becoming Liz Truss's chancellor. What, what is Britannia Unchained, and, and why should people take more notice of it?
1: It was essentially a sort of 2012 uh, lib- sort of liberal slash libertarian conservative um, manifesto, really. And it was this idea that Britain's become this lazy, timid country where benefits are too generous. And so everyone just slacks off and watches the TV and clock watches. Um, and so, you know, it was essentially, given that Rishi Sadak wants to make it uh, illegal to hate Britain, I think it would probably have got its four authors uh, arrested, yeah, especially. especially for the uh, sort of line that basically says Britain is a sort of bunch of lazy idlers. Uh, what is it? Once they enter the workplace, the British are amongst the worst idlers in the world. We work among the lowest hours. We retire early. and Our productivity is poor.
0: Amazing. And we're also only interested in football. I mean, as if football is going to bring any joy to the nation.
1: Uh, I mean, honestly, of all the stupid things for politicians to attack, it attacks uh, football and pop music. Now, as you know, any music industry figure will tell you, music is one of Britain's massive success stories and massive exports. There is nothing wrong with wanting to work with music. So and um, yeah, I mean you have to love the uh, sort of resurfacing of uh, a political uh, pamphlet attacking um, attacking football the yeah, week that uh, we like that you know football finally
0: comes home. So yeah, I mean that was written. Uh, uh, Pretty Patel was in on it. Quasi Kwarteng, obviously, who, who's tipped to be the chancellor, despite not really knowing much about economics, as, as everyone who knows him will attest, was in it. Rob was in it, wasn't he? I think.
1: Dominic Rob and Chris Skidmore, who sort of didn't do
0: quite as well as the others. Blimey. I mean, He's like the Stu the Sutcliffe or the Pete Best <laughs> of, the, uh, of Britannia Unchained.
1: But four of the five people who uh, wrote those paragraphs have uh, served in the last cabinet.
0: Amazing. Absolutely amazing. I mean, the, the, there is a long list. Um, although obviously the, the big re- response that we've had to this list of thirty-nine reasons uh, that Liz Truss will make a bad prime minister is what you've, you've stopped at thirty-nine. But I mean, it's the, <laughs> the fact that she yeah, seems. We, we
1: to... did actually have to ask people to stop making that check. Yes, that's so right.
0: Um, but it's the fact that it's her sort of teen air, isn't it? It's the fact that she's slightly divorced from reality, which I, I I think is that that's got sort of echoes of Thatcher. That you know, the chartering the private plane to Australia, insisting on a on a, a chartered flight to Australia right after COP twenty six, insisting um, that when the um, U.S. trade envoy came over, she had to take her to Robin Burley's private Mayfair yeah. club against the civil service. And the, priva-
1: and the private dining room within it as well, which was exactly. astonishing. yeah, And expensive. then
0: spending I mean, 3,000 quid on it, you know? So she also um,
1: did, uh, at that same private club, a uh, Fizz with Liz event last October. Fizz with Liz. Which, uh, you, you know, a dozen Tory MPs, and they got about three grand worth of champagne and dinner, um, which she didn't declare. Incredible, um, which is rather interesting, um, because they're claiming that it wasn't organized for her on her behalf or by her, despite being called Fizz with Liz.
0: Fizz with Liz, I mean, the, the list is endless, isn't it? When's her amphetamine um, sulfate night coming out? Whiz with Liz, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that's one that you and I will attend. I, I imagine, I mean, it's of course, the, I'm sure we top of the list. There is, it, it, there's a slightly surreal element to everything she does, but of course, she's she's dealing with this surreal selectorate as you say and sort of playing playing them like a drum from all this farrago of nonsense that she's come out with what, what, what do you think they particularly like hearing Liz Truss say
1: I think they believe she's a proper Tory hmm. uh, and I think that counts for a lot I think the Conservatives quite like women leaders and she was sort of marked for loyalty to the last government um, and you know if you are a fan of hers, you can say, Well, look, she's been in DEFRA, she's been in trade. She's the person who got two trade deals done. You know, she's the only person deals. they're terrible trade deals, but she can say she's got the new trade deals that were the big promise of Brexit. And then she went to the foreign office and got Nazanin home. Yes. You know, there are things where if you're a Tory member, you can point to and kind of go, Yeah, this is what I want.
0: Yes, that's right. And of course, you know, she ropes and she she she, she, she just she doles it out, doesn't she? And and the, the, the fantasy that Britain would all be okay, uh we will be out of recession if only we crack down on bloated civil servants, uh the BBC and uh benefit cheats. Um I mean she you know the the, the, the Tory karaoke, she's a, a master of, of playing it despite being a Remainer, who used to be a, a Lib Dem and whose parents are from the far left. Yeah,
1: although that was one of her better answers in the debate Yes, it to was. her sort of going, you know, even though it involved lying about her school, which was a little yes. shameful. But, uh, but yeah, sort of doing the game of, uh, well, yeah, no, I, I came to it is, is a good answer because most people do, do change political views and do vote different ways at different elections. So... You know it made her seem quite relatable. But then yeah. again, it's not hard
0: to look relatable next to Rishi that. No, I mean, he's he has led a, a disastrous campaign, hasn't he? Um, do you think that obviously that when Thatcher was deposed and and rightly deposed, she she'd gone mad, she'd run out of ideas that were viable, she, she was far behind in the polls much the same as as Boris Johnson. I don't think he'd gone mad. I think he was probably always always crazy and had clearly run out of ideas, far behind in the polls and lied about everything and been found out to have lied. Um, But following that, the the Tory party was... uh, There was a period of infighting that really led directly to the the 2016 referendum. It went on for, you know, 16 years, didn't it? Uh, Or 26 years, rather. Um, Do you think we're in for another period of Tory infighting or do you or do you think that she will sort of pack her cabinet with people from the left of the party as, as well as the right of the party? Well there isn't really a left of the party anymore. <laughs> no they're not left. Um, no.
1: You know because of the way the
0: deselections and
1: everything worked for the 2019 election and the pledge that had to be made uh, you ended up with a very strange position that um You just sort of had only people who were you know i mean the the hilarity of it was they'd all signed up saying that they fully backed boris johnson's deal which the government has then spent most of the last 18 months trying to unpick terrible Uh, um,
0: who signed that
1: but yeah every single one of them literally signed a pledge saying they fully supported it and that was a criteria for being a candidate Um, But because of that, there's actually sort of less ideological split in the party than there used to be. And so they're in the chaos. They're in the exhaustion. They've got that sort of party that's run out of steam uh, vibe. But until they're out of government, I don't think the fight will start. The second they're out of government... You know, it will probably be a lot like Labour, who sort of are now 12 years out of government and still basically prefer fighting each other than the Tories. I suspect the Tories will end up in the same place. And I guess the only hope is that if Labour gets anywhere near government, that they'll actually sort of start actually trying to do that rather than fighting each other.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's funny, isn't it? I, I mean, I guess a, I guess for those reasons, her, her cabinet probably picks itself or is picked for her by the, the ERG, certainly. And um, it will include a lot of the the, the same old faces, um, very much so. But also John Major was kind of, you know, he was viewed as a conspirator, wasn't he? He famously took himself off to have his wisdom teeth done. He was blamed for partly for the downfall of Thatcher in a way that Liz Truss won't be blamed for the, the downfall of, of Boris Johnson. I mean, finally, people like Paul Dacre, Paul Staines, who's Guido Fawkes, they seem convinced that Liz Truss is going to beat Keir Starmer at the next election. She's the best choice to beat Keir Starmer at the next election. How does that stack up for you? And with such terrible economic times upon us, about you know, almost upon us, but clearly um in the uh, right in the headlights, do you think she might be tempted to? win this vote, call a very quick election in the winter, and then, you know, then she's got a choice of four or five years in number 10, trying to sort it out. But more likely, four or five years of having a go at Keir Starmer as he tries to sort it out and does crisis management. Sir, I think
1: it's very difficult to call a snap election when you think you'll get fewer seats than you have currently, uh, because you are essentially... If you've got fewer than you had, your mandate shrinks. They, they're coming off a landslide, so they'll have fewer. You're essentially asking your, you know, your colleagues to make themselves yeah, unemployed so far, a year so earlier than they have to. Um, I think also for this winter, it's particularly difficult um, because no one wants to be sort of running an election campaign in a winter where people can't afford to for- for heat their homes. And we might actually sort of have rolling blackouts or something, depending how bad the European energy crisis gets. So I would have thought this is one of those where you drag it out to 2024 in the hope that inflation's down, um, you know, inflation's down, energy bills are falling, and even though things might be a lot worse than they are now. Uh, they are starting to get better and people start to go, you know, don't risk the recovery. Um, so I imagine she'll cling on and hope it fixes
0: itself. Well, we look forward to seeing her do it. And, and I mean, an election winner, do you think, Liz Truss, against Keir Starmer? I think she's got a chance. I I think, you know, we have at most
1: about 18 months to, well, a little more than that, but... We've got less than two years for the longest in an election and we don't really have any sense of what Labour is actually for other than not being Jeremy Corbyn and not being insane right-wingers, uh, which is a start, but it's not very inspiring. Um, and the odd thing is they've got tons and tons and tons of policies, but they've got no, you know, what what's the agenda? What, what would a, what the Labour believe in? What would the Labour government do? He does at some point have To articulate a vision, and he's not been very good at doing that.
0: Well, maybe so I
1: could see a world where trust wins,
0: yeah. Well, maybe you could start with pay boards, that seems like, like a good idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe not. Uh, Let's leave it there. Thank you so much to James Ball to read James's list of 39 reasons that Liz Truss will be a terrible prime minister, which he will, and to get full access to James's archive. You can join us by subscribing at the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. Thank you to James Ball to read James's list of 39 reasons that Liz Truss will be a terrible prime minister and to get full access to his archive of pieces for The New European, you can join us. Please subscribe at theneweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast. Now, before we go to the Hall of Shame, a reminder of two brilliant podcasts from The New European. May de Roli, May de Roli, May de This is Greeny MRCC, Greeny MRCC, Greeny MRCC. 15 men overboard, approximately 15 men overboard. On the night between November 23rd and November 24th, 33 people were trying to stay alive in the English Channel.
1: They were in a tiny inflatable, too many of them, and it was deflating.
0: They called for help, over and over again, but nobody came to help them. By morning, they were dead. This was the worst tragedy of its kind and it took place in one of the world's busiest shipping routes, between two of the world's richest countries. In the days that followed, we learnt more about the people who died, men, women and a young child, but their stories were soon eclipsed. First, there was a political row over who was responsible
1: for the deaths. Then the story faded away, to be overtaken by government scandals and the coronavirus pandemic. The new European has spent a month retracing the journeys of some of those who perished. Where did they come from? Why did they leave? What drew them to Britain? And why did they have to die when the ships that could have saved their lives were so close? In this three-part series, we tell their stories, because they deserve to be told. And we ask, what can be done to
0: fix a system that's so inhumane? The whole series of the 27 is now available to stream or download in the same feed where you found this episode of the New European Podcast. And a quick reminder, series one and series two of Charlie Connolly's Great European Lives Podcasts are also available. They tell the life stories of amazing Europeans in short 10-minute bites. Find them where you got this podcast. Just search for Great European Lives Podcast or search for the 27. So, finally, it's time for the Hall of Shame, the home of blowhard backbenchers, malevolent ministers, putrid pundits, things that annoy me generally. And obviously, after all that we've said, Liz Truss is in the Hall of Shame. Here's one we've not talked about uh, so far this week. What I'm very concerned about on the TV license fee is how many women have ended up in prison for non payment. It's a disproportionate number. That's what Liz Truss wrote in the Daily Mail this week. And guess how many uh, women have ended up in prison? non-payment of the TV licence fee alone. Um, it is a disproportionate number. It's zero. So disproportionate to the uh, space that Liz trust has given it. Jacob Rees-Mogg is in the Hall of Shame, uh, asked to name something that was going right in Britain for the moment. He said, our cricketers did rather well against New Zealand. All the big laugh, isn't it? All the laugh. And when he was reminded in 2018 that he'd said that there were no, uh, would be no delays at Dover after Brexit, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg said, of course, I got that wrong, but I got it wrong for the right reasons. Jacob Rees-Mogg there, playing all the right policy notes, just not necessarily in the right order. He's the Eric Morecambe of politics, although unlike Eric Morecambe, uh, he's not funny, he's not very nice, and he's never been close to a wise man. Anne Widdecombe is back in the Hall of Shame. On GB News the other night, she was asked why refugees kept crossing the channel to Britain, despite the threat of being sent to Rwanda. And she didn't reply, well, they might have family here, or they might speak English as a second language. Instead, she said this, we have a flourishing underground economy in this country. One of the big attractions of Britain is it's one of the easiest places in which to disappear. If only Anne Widdecombe would disappear. But foremost or for least in the Hall of Shame this week is someone that we've not mentioned too often this week. It is Rishi Sunak. The would-be next Tory leader is very much in the Hall of Shame for being about as truthful as the actual next Tory leader and the current Tory leader. Rishi Sunak uh, He lied this week when he said we were at the top of post-lockdown recoveries in the G7. Our trajectory is actually putting us at the bottom. And he, he lied the other week when he said his mum was used to work in a chemist. Well, she was a pharmacy, a pharmacist running her own pharmacy. and he, he lies about queues at Dover not being caused by Brexit. And he lies about being the most northern chancellor ever, which would come as news to several other chancellors who were actually from the north, not Southampton. As a backbench MP, I came up with the idea of Freeports, he said the other night. Now, Rishi Sunak entered the Commons in 2015, and he was a backbencher until 2018. So he must have come up with this crazy Freeports dream during 2015 to 2018, right? Except for the fact that Freeports were actually first introduced in 1984, when Rishi Sunak was in infant school. And then we had them for nearly three decades of life in the uh, EU, Until 2012, and here's another thing about free ports. This is why we shut them down. They don't work. They were closed down by conservative government in 2012 because free ports simply move economic activity from one area to another. If you create a low tax free port somewhere, it's just going to move economic activity from towns and cities to towns and cities with docks. So Rishi Sunak is claiming to be the man who invented a policy who doesn't work. What next? He's going to pop up and say he invented the DeLorean car or the soap El Dorado or Google Glass. Maybe, you know, I made a real mess in my kitchen last night. Maybe Rishi Sunak will pop up and tell my partner that he did it instead. Or, you know, the other day, if you scrape your neighbor's car with your own, maybe Rishi Sunak will turn up on the drive and go, all me. How soon before Rishi Sunak stands up and says, do you know, just the other day, I was the man who invented Liz Truss's popular payboard policy. That was the New European Podcast with Steve Anglesey. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to our producer, Ellen Longman-Rood, and thanks, of course, to James Ball. A reminder of our special offer for new subscribers. If you go to the neweuropean.co.uk slash TNE podcast, you can join us for the great price of just £1 a week for digital or £2 a week for print and digital. That's the slash TNE podcast. Please subscribe if you don't want to miss an episode of this podcast and give us nice ratings and lovely reviews when you can. On social, join our Facebook readers group, follow The New European on Twitter at The New European, and you can follow me on Twitter if you like, at Sanglesey, S-A-N-G-L-E-S-E-Y. Until until the next time we meet. So long, snowflakes.